0: M S W media
1: beans
0: beans beans hello Welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. Today, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments on Trump's immunity claim, and it did not go well for him. Trump has told ABC News he plans to deliver part of the closing argument in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud trial himself. Tennessee Rep. Andy Ogles is facing an ethics complaint. Congress may need a continuing resolution through March to get a budget passed, because, of course... Mike Pence's brother, Greg Pence, will not seek re election in the House. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. The civil trial of the National Rifle Association kicked off today with a bang. Haha, <laughs> get it. And a driver is in custody after crashing into the White House gates. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy Wednesday. To you as well. Thank you, thank you. Today was a long day, but it was a good day. <laughs>
1: it was. There was some insanity happening as well in the D.C. Circuit
0: Court of Appeals. Holy majoli! Uh, we'll go over that a little bit. We have a special show today. We're going to cover that just a, just a bit because, you know, of course, Andy and I will have a deep dive on it uh, in, in this weekend's episode of The Jack Podcast. Later in the show, I'm going to do a special segment about Trump's reciprocal arguments. It's like they're on a lazy Susan. He says one thing in one case and then argues the exact opposite when it benefits him in another case. And I just want to talk about some of those contradictions and conflations. But we do have a lot of news to get to today. So uh, actually, let's start with some quick hits. To make a long story short, Too late. All right. Trump intends to personally deliver part of the defense's closing argument at the conclusion of a civil fraud trial in New York tomorrow, <laughs> according to sources familiar with the former president's strategy, who spoke to ABC News. The defendants in this case, Trump, his two eldest sons, and two former Trump Organization executives, I believe it's McConnie and weiselberg are represented by three primary attorneys, Chris Kyes, or Keys, however he says it, Clifford Robert, and Alina Haba. But sources say Trump himself is determined to deliver a portion of the closing statement. The source is cautioned that plans for the defense's closing argument remain fluid. Of course they do, because Trump chickened out of even testifying in the case. So watch, he'll he'll back out at the last second, Dana, and then blame the judge and raise money off how he was silenced or whatever.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. All right. Another one. We've got Senate Republican Whip John Thune said Congress may need to pass a short term government funding bill known as a continuing resolution into the March timeframe in order to allow lawmakers enough time to process the 12 outstanding appropriations bills and avoid a shutdown.
0: And when you when you when they say outstanding, they don't mean awesome. No, that means they can't get shit
1: done. Uh, The (laughs) chamber's number two Republicans said it's unrealistic to think Congress can get that work done ahead of two fast approaching deadlines. Or possibly at all, in part because congressional leadership only this week agreed to top-line funding levels and appropriators are now beginning the difficult task of negotiating the individual bills that fund different parts of the government. In other part, because, well, this Congress can't get anything fucking done, and they suck. (laughs) They
0: suck. Not all of them, but right now the majority. (laughs) We took three weeks off for the holiday, and we came back and we worked on it. We still just can't. We just can't. Nope. Ugh, God. All right, next up, Representative Greg Pence, Republican from Indiana, the brother of former Vice President Mike Pence, announced Tuesday he will not seek a fourth term in office. Quote, as a former Marine officer, I approach the job with purpose, he said in a statement posted on Twitter. After three terms, I've made the decision to not file for reelection. So the guy who sided with the mob who wanted to hang his brother is a chicken shit quitter? The hell, you say?
1: I mean, I I was also today years old when I found out that Mike Pence's brother was in the Congress. (laughs) I had no idea. No idea. All right. Uh, Drivers in custody Monday after crashing a vehicle into an exterior gate of the White House complex. And this is from a spokesman uh, from the Secret Service. That's what they wrote on X, obviously, Twitter. They said, shortly before 6 p.m., a vehicle collided with an exterior gate on the White House complex. This is from Anthony Guglielmi. <laughs>
0: yeah, Google me, me,
1: and Gargamel. Just, there you it's go, Gargamel. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna maybe for short. Uh, he's the Secret Service spokesperson, by the way. That's what he wrote on X and went on to say the driver has been taken into custody and we are investigating the cause and the manner of the collision. So we're gonna keep an eye on this one for you.
0: Yeah, Gargamel, the Smurfs, right? And who was the one from Strawberry Shortcake? Oh, the peculiar purple pie man. Wow, Porcupine Peak. Is it? Por- you are taking I- me back. Forty at, years. At, 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 uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, it's been a long day. Yeah. <laughs> <Clearly>. <laughs> I was up at five to, to get this hearing in. <laughs> and I'm sitting there listening to these fucking Trump lawyer, this ch- sour, just like make the most outrageous claims. I'm going to talk about it in a second. Let's hit the hot it's notes. Awesome. Hot notes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So Trump and his lawyers were present at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals this morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time to argue Trump's claims of absolute presidential immunity and double jeopardy before a three-judge panel comprised of two Biden appointees and a G.W. Bush appointee, all women, two women of color. Pierce was arguing on behalf of the Department of Justice, and Sauer was arguing on behalf of Trump. And while the most explosive exchange of the day— according to mainstream media, was the argument Trump's lawyers had with the judges that Trump could send SEAL Team 6 to murder Americans and he couldn't be held criminally liable unless he was first impeached and convicted by the Senate. While that was the most explosive thing that we've seen over and over again on the media, uh, and it's a pretty mind-blowing piece of argument there, there were other moments that stood out to me even more, Dana. First, the judges opened with a lot of questions about jurisdiction because You know, American Oversight, which is a watchdog group, they filed an amicus brief, which is a friend of the court brief, which means you're not a party to the case, but here's some information that might be useful. They filed an amicus brief saying that immunity and double jeopardy under the impeachment judgment clause are not subject to interlocutory appeal, meaning that Supreme Court precedent shows that immunity claims and non-Fifth Amendment double jeopardy claims are not the kinds of motions that have to be decided before trial happens. They, they can be decided after. Now, Trump's lawyers right out of the gate said they oppose that idea and that the circuit court has jurisdiction here and that double jeopardy is interlocutory, even if it's in the impeachment clause and not the Fifth Amendment double jeopardy, because this is brand new. This is the first time a president's ever been indicted because it's the first time a president's ever fucking broke this many laws. Um, so they argued against this pretty pretty vehemently. Um, and this is a brand new case, and and we it just can't go right back to Judge Chutkin uh, at the district court level, and the, but the Department of Justice also argued that they think these appeals are interlocutory, and the court's like, why, bro? If we dismiss this motion and remand back to the district court, you win. Why? Why would you not argue this? And Pierce, who argued for the DOJ, said the most amazing thing. He said, sure, we would win, and maybe this would go faster. But we're doing justice, and that means getting the law right. Ah. Department of Justice wants a ruling on the merits now. Also, because remanding back to Judge and could actually delay this case a bit more. Andy and I will talk about why on the next episode of Jack. But also, they don't want Trump to come back after a conviction and appeal on these same grounds again. They're like, just we're here. Just decide it now. But we're doing justice, and we want to get the law right. I love that. standout moment for me. And the other standout moment was during the double jeopardy argument. Trump's lawyers, as you heard before with the SEAL Team 6 hypothetical, actually argued that you cannot indict a president unless you first impeach and convict him. But Judge Pan, who's a Biden appointee, asked Trump's lawyers about Trump's argument during his second impeachment trial. She said, quote, the argument back then was there's no need to vote for impeachment because we have this backstop, which is criminal prosecution. And it seems that many senators relied on that when they voted to acquit him. Now I have the tape of that uh, and and we'll play it on the Jack episode, but Trump's lawyer responded by saying, well, that wasn't me. I wasn't the lawyer in the second impeachment trial specifically that argued that. And y'all can't possibly know why any Senator voted to acquit. He just got hammered with that. And just on every point that he tried to make, it was a bad day for Donald in court. They will rule against him. I'm 100% certain. Put put, this, put some beans on it. The only question is when they'll rule and whether they'll lift the stay on the D.C. trial proceeding pending appeal or whether they'll just remand the whole thing back down to Judge Chuck. we don't know, but we'll cover it all on the Jack podcast. I have a bet with Andy, Dana. My bet is they'll come back with a ruling before this week is over. He thinks they'll come back with a ruling next week. So we'll see who wins that bet.
1: All right. This one's from Melissa Chan at NBC. The National Rifle Association is, and I quote, the victim of betrayal. This oh. is from an attorney. That's what uh, the attorney said Tuesday as she sought to distinguish longtime leader Wayne LaPierre from the gun rights group during opening arguments in the civil trial against it and its executives said the NRA is not this man, this was Sarah Rogers, by the way, adding that LaPierre has been a valuable and visionary leader of the organization, but was not always a meticulous corporate executive. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. She admitted to the Manhattan jury that some past violations by numerous wrongdoers were concealed and unapproved by the NRA board, but that the organization was not willfully blind to red flags. Now, the only question, and this is a quote, the only question or at least one question is why the NRA, the victim of that betrayal, is a defendant in this case. This is Mm -hmm. what the attorney said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the plaintiff's opening arguments Monday, attorney Monica Connell said that LaPierre drew millions of dollars away from the NRA to spend lavish perks for himself, including personal use of private jets, expensive meals, travel consultants, private security, and trips to the Bahamas for him and his family. Now, on Tuesday, an attorney for each individual defendant and a separate one for the NRA, while well, they took turns addressing the 12 member jury, LaPierre's attorney, P. Kent Correll, urged the jurors to set aside any misconceptions that they may have about the longtime NRA chief and said the plaintiffs want to paint him as a person. That's not him. Now, Carelson oh. K- LaPierre served his job well and honorably and honesty, honestly, <laughs> for decades until his health made it impossible for him to
0: continue.
1: Oh, fainting yeah.
0: couch, please.
1: Uh-huh. Now, Phillips' attorney, Seth Farber, said the 75-year-old never used his position to line his pocket or conceal information about the NRA's board of directors. Farber said that his client did not do his job perfectly, but that he never intentionally did anything to harm the NRA. Frazier's attorney, William Fleming, said his client has, and I quote, done nothing but show up for his job, which he said Frazier did selflessly. Yeah, Frazier's accused, by the way, of submitting false statements. He's the only individual defendant who still works for the NRA, and he risks losing a job he has held for 30 years, and I quote, every penny that he's ever made at the NRA, a lot of it might be Russian. That's just my addition. <laughs> and this, and Fleming also said it's been a career and a life for him. Oh, Joshua Powell, who's a former chief of staff and executive director of general operations, was also a defendant. But he reached a $100,000 settlement with the attorney general's office Friday. He admitted to the allegations brought forth in the lawsuit, including the misuse of NRA funds. That's what James confirmed Saturday. Now, Connell accused the NRA of flouting nonprofit laws and evading oversight for decades. And I quote, this case is about corruption. That's what she said Monday and and close with, it's about breaches of trust and power. Well, the NRA's defense team rejected the vast majority of attorney general's claims, but said Tuesday that it agrees that there were some past violations and failure to follow the board's policies. Now, those violations were concealed and unapproved by the NRA board. Again, that's what Roger said. Bland up. Roger said that numerous wrongdoers were fired or have left the NRA and that LaPierre has repaid the NRA's money with interest. Bullshit. Now the jury sworn in Monday afternoon is expected to hear testimony over the next six weeks from roughly 120 witnesses. Six of them will deliberate while the others will serve as alternatives. If the jurors find the individual defendants liable, they will recommend the amount of money that each defendant will re- have to repay the NRA. I wish they instead were repaying it to victims of gun violence, but that's just me. Now, in a potential second phase of the trial, New York Supreme Court Judge Joel Cohen, who has the final say over monetary damages and remedies, could determine whether the defendant should be permanently barred from serving on the board of any charity in New York and whether an independent monitor should oversee the NRA's finances.
0: <laughs> yep, they're all getting babysat soon. Yeah, this is a lot like the Trump Foundation, right? It's pretty much exactly what happened. And and poor Wayne LaPierre, poor, poor. And oh, But no, the NRA is the victim of Wayne LaPierre, but he was a good and honest man. It sounds like yeah, Wayne LaPierre has the vapors. Okay, next up, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was diagnosed with prostate cancer in December and he underwent a minimally invasive procedure to treat and cure it. That's according to a statement from Walter Reed National Military Center officials on Tuesday. Quote, Secretary Austin recovered uh, uneventfully from his surgery and returned home the next morning. His prostate cancer was detected early, and his prognosis is excellent. Austin, who is 70, was then admitted to Walter Reed on January 1st, with complications from the December twenty second procedure, which was a prostatectomy uh, and uh, an elective uh, procedure, according to to the Department of Defense, and the the complications w- was a, a UTI. So he had severe uh, abdominal, hip, and leg pain, and he had a urinary tract infection. Initial evaluation found he had that UTI, and on January second, a decision was made to transfer him to the ICU for close monitoring and a high level of care. Doctors then discovered Austin had abdominal fluid collections, impairing the functions of his small intestines. And this resulted in the backup of his intestinal contents, which was treated by placing a tube through his nose to drain his stomach. The abdominal fluids were uh, drained by non-surgical drain placement. He has progressively and steadily uh, improved throughout his stay. An said in a statement that Austin's infection has cleared and he continues to make progress and anticipates a full recovery, although it can be a slow process. They said during his hospitalization, Austin never lost consciousness and never underwent general anesthesia. The revelation about his condition is a new development after the defense secretary and several of his aides waited days to notify the White House and key Pentagon officials that he was hospitalized for his urinary tract infection. Now, the public didn't know that he was hospitalized until Friday evening when Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Pat Ryder said in a statement that Austin had been admitted to Walter Reed uh, on Monday night for complications following that recent elective medical procedure, though he didn't specify what the procedure was. So I think the top line story here is that our Secretary of Defense has prostate cancer. Yeah. And uh, I know how devastating that can be. I'm glad they caught it early. And uh, my thoughts are with him and his family.
1: I echo that. Thank you so much, A.G. All right. This last story is from our friend Phil Williams at News Channel 5 Nashville. Seems a nonpartisan watchdog group has asked a federal ethics agency to investigate Tennessee Congressman Andy Ogles over a million dollars a million of discrepancies in financial disclosures he was required to file with the U.S. House. No baggy, Yeah, box. just a million dollars. A million dollars. Now, the Campaign Legal Center, CLC, repeatedly cites Channel News 5 reporting in the complaint that was filed Tuesday with the Office of Congressional Ethics, the OCE. Comparing Oles's conduct, by the way, to the disgraced New York Congressman George Santos. Yep. Yep, I guess he's now a, he's a, he's an example for somebody. Now, News Channel 5 (laughs) investigates discovered that. Be somebody, sorry. Now, News Channel 5 investigates discovered that, like Santos, Ogles has misrepresented, misrepresented, good Lord, Dana, his educational and business credentials and this is a quote, the expulsion of representative George Santos for filing false financial disclosure statements and other ethics violations demonstrates why investigations of significant discrepancies in a candidate's financial reporting are warranted. That was from the CLC's complaint and said unexplained inconsistencies in Rep. Ogles' reported finances and allegations of him misrepresenting his background, raise false fundamental questions for voters about the transparency of their elected representative. I agree. Uh, Campaign Legal Center was founded in 2002 by its current president, Trevor Potter, and he's a former GOP commissioner on the Federal Elections Commission. Now, the Federal Office of Congressional Ethics is an independent agency created by the U.S. House of Representatives to review allegations of misconduct and, when appropriate, to refer those matters to the House Ethics Committee. Now, specifically, in his complaint, the CLC notes that Mari County Republicans claimed to have personally loaned $320,000 to his 2022 campaign for Congress, but Rep. Ogles' financial disclosure reports do not disclose assets that would allow him to make this loan. Mm -hmm. Now, as News Channel 5 previously reported on financial disclosures filed with the U.S. House of Representatives, Ogles did not disclose any checking or savings accounts. I know. What is with these guys? Now, in a footnote, by the way, the CLC notes that bank accounts only must be reported in a candidate or member's financial disclosure report if they are interest-bearing. And while it's possible that Rep Ogles has a non-interest-bearing account, um, it would be highly unlikely that such an account would contain such a substantial amount of money like the $320,000 he loaned to his campaign. That's what was added in this story. Now, the Campaign Legal Center also urges the Office of Congressional Ethics to investigate Ogles' failure to disclose a $700,000 line of credit with First Bank that was discovered by News Channel 5 Investigates. He said, in conclusion, the similarities between Rep. Ogles and Rep. Santos should not be ignored. This is from the complaint.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny If the $320,000 came from stolen credit cards from Rep Santos's mom or
1: something. (laughs) I mean, some sort of a connection. Yeah, I would not be surprised. These are very similar. Basically, their investigation discovered that he had used the stillborn death of a child to raise nearly $25,000 for a children's burial garden. That was never built. What a douchebag. Ogles has refused, by the way, to provide evidence of what he did with that money. Now, the Tennessee Republican has also been fined $5,750 by the Federal Election Commission for multiple reporting violations associated with his campaign's account. And I quote, although Rep. Ogle's statements about his background and the prior FEC complaints against him are not the subject of this complaint, these matters demonstrate a pattern of inaccurate information. On the public record, supporting an investigation of his substantial financial disclosure discrepancies, that again was from the complaint by the C.L.C.
0: Yeah, and this is exactly what George Santos did. He loaned himself, has loaned his uh, um, campaign five hundred thousand dollars because you have to have a certain amount of money raised in a quarter, in a fiscal quarter, in order to get RNC support and and all that stuff. And um, he he stole that money. He didn't have the money to make that loan, right? And so they started investigating him. He is now facing I think twenty-three felony charges. <laughs> so look out, rep Andy Ogles. Phil Williams has got his eye on you, and that's never a good thing if you're a bad dude. So All right, everybody, I've got a little like one more little piece of news, but we have to take a quick break and then we'll have the good news after that. Stick around, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's just AG. I just had some stuff I wanted to share with you about some of the things I've noticed over the last, I don't know, year and a half or two um that where Trump's arguments, his legal arguments really contradict one another. And I and I don't mean like sort of. I mean like explicitly contradict. Uh, one another. And he'll use one argument in one case where it would benefit him. And then he'll flip the script and use a completely opposite argument in another case to benefit him there. Uh, And and so it's kind of like a sword and a shield situation. And this, by the way, is completely unscripted. Uh, This is just some of my thoughts that I wanted to talk to you about, because I've seen him do this numerous times and I wanted to talk about it. Um, he he has this history of presenting conflicting arguments, right? Because of, for, so it can suit him in the moment. The first one I think of is that in the E Jean Carroll case, E Jean won uh, the one where uh, Trump defamed her when he was president, and that that happened in 2019. And she sued him before he left office, and Bill Barr came in and certified. Trump for the DOJ, meaning the Department of Justice is going to represent Donald Trump in this case, which kind of means the case is sort of over. And she appealed that. And while it was going through appeals, well, we elected President Joe Biden. And Joe Biden appointed Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland took a second look at this and didn't argue against it. But then when he heard what the Second Circuit Court of Appeals had to say about it, when it got up to the Court of Appeals, he came back and issued a different opinion. He came back and said, the Department of Justice is not going to represent Donald Trump. The comments he made about Eugene Carroll were not part of his job, as Bill Barr said they were. And he reversed it and said the DOJ will not be representing Trump. And now we are finally, uh, you know, coming up on January 16th, going to be getting to that trial, the, the defamation that he uh, engaged in while he was president. It's been a long road. That's why E. Jean too, went much quicker. Eugene, too, is the trial we've already had where he lost $5 million, and the judge said that he sexually assaulted Eugene Carroll. And, and that went faster because he said those comments when he was out of office, after he was president. So there was no argument that the DOJ would even come in and represent him in that case. And while, he was, while Trump was arguing uh, with the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that the DOJ, Merrick Garland, should still represent me, you should still be my lawyer. In this case, he actually argued um, that he was an officer of the United States under the Westfall Act, because the Westfall Act says if you're an officer of the United States, the Department of Justice will come in and represent you. And he, so he argued, I'm an officer of the United States. Yes, I am. When I was president, I was an officer of the United States. The DOJ has to represent me. It doesn't matter if I defamed anybody. I was an officer of the United States. You have to come in and represent me. Now, Let's flash forward to Colorado Supreme Court and the Colorado District Court when he's arguing that he should remain on the ballot and that he shouldn't be disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Clause. He argues there that he's not an officer of the United States and that the presidency is not an office of the United States because of the language in the 14th Amendment says any officer that swears an oath. (laughs) <laughs> so in one hand, he's an officer so that he can get the DOJ to represent him and get him off the hook in the EGIN case. In the, in the other hand, he's not an officer so that he can't be held to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and be disqualified from the ballot. So there's one example okay, of just absolutely contradicting arguments. And the great thing about the Colorado lawyers, when I talked to—I uh, had I had one of the lawyers on the show, you'll remember, Mario— Uh, And he said, yeah, we actually told the court that Donald Trump had argued in the Eugene Carroll case that he was an officer of the United States, and now he's saying he's not. That's weird. And of course, you know what happened there. They won in the Supreme Court, and now they're going to go to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the United States, after winning in the Supreme Court of Colorado. All right, next up. Remember when the Texas attorney general filed a lawsuit after the 2020 election trying to overturn the election results in several key swing states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and 17 other Republican attorneys general joined him in this lawsuit and uh, it was going to head up to the Supreme Court. Of course, he lost this lawsuit. This is the one where Meadows is like, oh, shit, we lost. And Donald's like, don't tell anybody we lost. This is terrible. This is bad. It was this case. Right. Texas attorney general. And in that case, Trump filed uh, to intervene, which is kind of like a, like an amicus brief, right? Like he filed a thing saying, I, uh, I want to give my two cents in this case because I'm not a direct party of this case, but I am uh, sort of adjacent to this case because it has to do with the 2020 election. So he filed and he filed as a candidate for the president of the United States. Now, fast forward to the civil and criminal cases against him for January 6th. Blazing Game, where the cops, the, the Capitol Police officers, and, um, and uh, you know, some of the representatives like Swalwell have sued him for January 6th, um, civilly, not criminally. Um, Benny Thompson did too, but he withdrew his lawsuit when he became the head of the January 6th Select Committee. And in those cases, Donald Trump is arguing that he was acting as the sitting president and everything that he did related to January 6th was under the color of office or within the outer perimeter of his official duties. He's also arguing this in his criminal case, the one Jack Smith brought in DC. He's making that argument in the court today, right? These are my, these are my, I'm an official, I was president, I was acting as president, I was the sitting president, and therefore uh, my actions have to be given total immunity because it was part of my job to do this. this was this these this was in the outer perimeter within the outer perimeter of my duties as president. but in the Texas Attorney General lawsuit, he said, I'm not the sitting president. I can't intervene if I'm the sitting president. I am a candidate for president when I'm trying to overturn the 2020 election. And that's one of the DOJ's main arguments. Dude, you're not immune. First of all, there's no such thing as president. There's no criminal presidential immunity, especially when you're trying to overturn the government. But you were acting as a candidate for office. You even argued that you were in the Texas Attorney General lawsuit. So there's another great example. One argument here, the opposite argument here. Uh, Now, the the third option is really, really funny. You know, I hosted the Mueller She Wrote podcast. We talked about the Mueller investigation, the investigation into Russian uh, interference in the 2016 election. And for years, Trump tried to quash that, tried to fire Mueller, obstructed 10 instances of obstruction of justice in the second volume of the Mueller report. He tried to shut it down. He would say, no, Russia didn't interfere. He went to Helsinki and said, I believe Putin over the FBI... Or the uh, the ICA, the Intelligence Community assessment that Russia interfered in our elections. If the Department of Homeland Security wanted to put out any reports on Russian interference in, in subsequent elections, like twenty eighteen, and he, he shut it down. He would say no. He wouldn't let he wouldn't let uh, Presidential Daily Brief briefers tell him about Russian interference. I don't want to hear it. Russia's the best. We have all all sorts of evidence of that. No, Russia. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Right, and I've been called so many names by people on the hard left and the right. Say, oh, the Mueller investigation, oh, Russia, 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 the Russia hoax. Oh, you believe the Russia hoax? You're an idiot. Yeah, well, there's a volume sitting behind me, Volume One. There was tons of Russian collusion, just in rise to the level of criminality that you need to charge someone with conspiracy. So. Anyway, that whole thing, that whole background of Trump saying Russia had nothing. Russia's the best. I love you. Well, in this particular recent case, the D.C. coup case, Jack Smith's January 6th indictment against him, he says, it's my job to look at election integrity. And there was election malfeasance. And he blames Russia. He said Russia totally hacked solar winds, and that caused election integrity problems. So I had the DNI, my friend Rick Grinnell, brief my good friend Jeffrey Clark at the DOJ. And as soon as that briefing happened, Jeffrey Clark said, aha, there is crazy amounts of election interference, uh, particularly in Georgia. I should write a letter to Georgia and tell them to throw out their electors and send up an alternate slate. He's indicted for that now and he's an indicted co-conspirator in the D.C. case. He's indicted in Fulton County. But yeah, he now argues that Russia interfered in the elections, and that was his job to throw out those electors and make sure that the election was okay. And not only that, he blames Russian online psychographic targeting, the kind he denied existed in his favor in 2016. He blames that online sort of you know, disinformation campaign from Russian troll farms on why the mob on January 6th was so mad. It wasn't me. It wasn't election lies. Russia. Russia stirred the pot. It was Russia. So he's actually arguing that. In this case, a lot of people don't realize that, but that is one of his major defenses in the case. And I, I'm assuming it might get thrown out or at least objected to vehemently during the trial. But now, in the immunity case that we heard today. Trump says he can't be indicted unless he's impeached and convicted first. But as we know from our first story during his impeachment, he his his lawyers argued that he shouldn't be impeached because he can be criminally indicted. So he argues one day, don't impeach me, I can be indicted, and argues the next day, I can't be indicted because I wasn't impeached. So I'm glad to see DOJ calling the calling him out on that today. But there are, these are just four examples, but they're the four that stand out in my mind as kind of the most egregious. And I just sort of wanted to put them all together for you today. And I, this was the, uh, the best place to do it in a B block on the Daily Beans. So thank you very much for listening. We have the good news next with Dana. Stick around, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. near good news and if you have any good news confessions corrections you want to play what the mutt find the cat cat me if you can what the hell's in that shell what's the model of your oxalotl? oh pine on the bovine what the heck wine any animal guessing game please send it to us and if you have a new animal guessing game we'd love to hear about it also if you have a dissertation or thesis title i love those if you have a shout out for a loved one a spouse a partner a small business in your area your small business yourself a self shout out um shit kids say shit you say Uh, Let's see, what else do we have? Oh, if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area and we'll try to make that connection for you. Pictures of your happy place, frog orgies, baby photos, anything at all, send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to kick us off, Dana, with a submission from Jane, pronouns she and her. First of all, thank you for keeping us educated and up to date with all the important political news. I love listening every day. Thank you, Jane. I have some good news to share. My husband just survived his second. Yes, second brain surgery.
1: Amazing!
0: He has had two completely unrelated tumors oh in his God. brain space in the past 13 years. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful that we live in a time with amazing doctors and technology so that he can survive. He has a wonderful husband and terrific father to our two teenage daughters. I don't know what I'd do without him. He works so hard every day and just recently launched a scripted podcast company for kids and family podcasts called Glisten Plus check it out. It's especially good for long car rides. Glisten plus. For pet tax, I'm including a picture of my super adorable 11-year-old Terry Poo. We're not exactly sure of his lineage, but whatever. He's pretty damn cute. Thanks again for for spreading the truth. He's very cute. Yes, this is an adorable puppers. And oh my gosh, two completely unrelated brain tumors in 13 years. What an amazing warrior and you too, your whole family, just a bunch of survivors. And, um, I'm looking forward to checking out glisten plus that's going to be really cool. Um, podcast company for kids and family.
1: All right. Thank you so much, A.G. This next one, um, is from living the dream in the Pacific Northwest pronoun. She and her hello, information idols (laughs) speak. by the way, when I first read that, I thought it said idiots. I was like, that's not very nice. (laughs) Hello, Information Idols. Speaking of dildos, also not sure if that's very nice. <laughs> Ten years ago, I was working as a detective. Ooh, this is going to be good. I was working as a detective in a small town north of Seattle.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Can we get some background music? Some like film noir detective music? Yeah. Dun,
1: dun, dun. Can we working. get
0: producers? Can we get that?
1: You do Go that ahead. and I'll do it like this. Working as part of a team with two other detectives, we were serving a search warrant on a storage unit. Now the storage unit was small, full of boxes. We pulled them out onto the pavement. Upon opening a medium-sized box, I could see it was full of nothing but bright and oversized dildos. Wearing protective gloves, I selected two largest and most colorful examples. Raising my hands over my head, I enthusiastically wagged them at my companions. Needless to say, they were very bright and flexible. From the looks of my partner's faces, this is not something they expected. One of them reminded me that the storage unit at 24 hours video surveillance. <laughs> With that information, we all howled. <laughs> I'm including a photo of Hercules. Oh, Hercules! This be- that was sorry that was me. <laughs> this belonged to a friend who received it as a gift when he was a baby.
0: Which and everyone makes- who doesn't have pictures, this is not a photo of a dildo. This is a no. photo of a stuffy a stuffed yes. animal. Yes.
1: Hercules. Oh my God.
0: That's waggle, waggle, waggle.
1: Hysterical. <laughs> because I'm sure still, dildo is definitely named Hercules. Named Hercules. <laughs> All right. Matt, we digress. Um, this is submissions, including a photo of Hercules. This belonged to a friend who received it as a gift when he was a baby, which makes Hercules about 60 years old. 40 years ago, I fell in love with Hercules and he was given to me. I have no idea what this handmade critter is supposed to be. Guesses? Um, It looks like a bunny had a baby with a baked potato.
0: Yes, that's what I agree. Um, It's not an oxalotl. No. A bunny slash guinea pig? Maybe it's a, maybe, yeah, maybe it's
1: a bunny slash guinea pig.
0: Hmm.
1: All right. This person says, I'm very fortunate to be the mother of the creator who sent you the images of her pink monster Halloween house in Beaverton. Oh. Oh, excellent. I'm on a roll now. I also have a what the mot for you. This is Coda. Oh Ooh. my gosh.
0: This is a beautiful
1: dog. Coda's beautiful. Definitely blue healer. At least healer. Ozzy. Healer. Probably shepherd. some pit and chow in there. <laughs> shepherd. Chow and pit,
0: right? Because always.
1: And I would say husky because of the eyes, but I don't know.
0: I'm going to say staffy. Okay. And husky. All right, let's see what we got. Coda was tested. end up being Pitbull, German Shepherd, Chow, and Catahoula Leopard Dog, along Ooh. with a ton of super mutt. So we got the German Shepherd Dog. We got the Pitbull. We, we got the, got the Chow. Because we always get the Chow. Now we, I think Catahoula comes up more than Chow. So maybe we should just add Catahoula to everything. That works. Coda's really beautiful, though. It's a very, very interesting, beautiful dog. Absolutely love, love this pupper. All right. Thank you so much. All right, next up from Just a Cute Pick, no pronouns given. Last winter, we found our kittens in a cat carrier box, each about the size of a baseball, on the side of the road outside a veterinarian's office, which was long since closed in northeastern New England. Oh my God, it sounds like somebody like tried to bring them and drop them off at a vet and they were closed so they just left them there. Oh my God. There were five and one didn't make it. Good news coming though. This is them now a boy and three girls in a deeply loving and pet goofy home. And they're just fantastic. I was always, I'm always grateful when I see them together like this, that we could help no bragging here. It's not about us, but all these cute and seriously fucking cool cats, check them out. Nice. Gray and white, a couple of tuxies looks like sort of a, um, like a mink colored tabby. Very beautiful. Thank you for that gorgeous, gorgeous. Thanks for saving them. Yes.
1: All right. This is from Smudge. (laughs) Love it. Pronouns she and her. Hello, DG and AG. I'm so excited to be writing to both, to you both. I'm having a hard time today, people. (laughs) This is why, and just so you know, uh, there's been continued dental work from that emergency root canal. I had to go back today and get fitted for a new crown and they did all the stuff they have to do with like seven shots of Novocaine and the, the like the wire, not the wire, but the cord that goes around the gums to blah, 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 blah. I'm in so much pain and I haven't said anything. So I'm just trying Aww. to get through this episode. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> but that's why I think part of the reason I keep screwing up my words, not that that doesn't happen when I'm not in pain, but whatevs. Oh. All right. Back to the story. This is from Smudge, pronouns she and her. Hello, DG and AG. I'm so excited to be writing to you both. I've been listening to the Daily Beans for the last several months because of politics, girl, who we love. I love hearing the good and the bad news unfiltered. It's refreshing. I enjoy listening to your shows every day at work. I'm a teacher and I started a new job and I absolutely love it. I teach digital photography for high school. Cool. cool. I can actually teach my content and help out my students now. I thought this would be my last stop in education in education before I found a new career in the new, next few years. I'm thrilled to have rediscovered my love of teaching. This is my 12th year in education, and I hope to have many more. Mm-hmm. Also, AG, thank you for sharing your sexuality. It is great to hear people talking about sexuality without reserve. I'm asexual, a.k.a. an ace. I thought there was something wrong with me and didn't fully figure out my sexuality until my late 20s. Now when people ask me when I'm getting married or, uh, or a boyfriend, I state I love being single and I plan to stay that way. Now there needs to be more education on sexuality for our youth. Though I will say Gen Z is ge- in general are so open and accepting of a generation. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Here's my pet tax. These are my two spoiled rot, uh, <laughs> rotten fur babies who I love with all my heart. A seven-month-old, Sershu, uh, Sersha. Sersha. Wow, try that seven seven times. Sersha and a grumpy seven year old Maeve. I love that name, sex education. Maeve claims she doesn't love her baby sister, but I know she does. She likes to snarl and smack at Sersha when she's annoying her, but. Loves to rumble at a, uh, a time of her choosing. It was almost impossible to get both of them to stand still for the photo. <laughs> they listened one. very well, but didn't want to be cl- too close to her sister. Saoirse was busy with more important things like playing ball and trying to find things to eat that she shouldn't. Can you guess what breed they are? Those oh. are hounds.
0: Yeah, these are hound dogs. No, no, no answers given. Yeah. But yeah, these are pro- probably Cataloo. I love that, that
1: there's a producer note that says, there's no explanation for this picture of the super cute goat. Bunny goat?
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, so there's just a goat photo in here. Just a random goat photo. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that. All right, next up from Aaron, pronouns he and him. As a bi man in a relationship with a woman, I strongly relate to the anxiety over taking up room in queer spaces. For whatever it's worth, I've only ever found reassurance and acceptance from my queer friends. I'm writing in to offer my thoughts on what it means to be straight, but it comes from a place of experience when it comes to discourse about what it means to be bi. There has been some hesitation surrounding the bi label because the two might seem to imply there are only, or that there is only attraction to two binary genders. But that's not what the bi prefix is counting. Hetero and homosexuality are both considered modes of attraction. They don't tell you by themselves who someone is attracted to. You also have to know their gender identity. A homosexual person is attracted to people with the same or similar gender. And a heterosexual person is attracted to people with different genders, not the opposite gender. Oh. Bisexual people experience both modes of attraction, but this is what led me to point to the point I want to make about being straight. You can be straight and still be attracted to non-binary people if you are not non-binary, because non-binary is a different gender, and that doesn't have to invalidate your non-binary partner's identity. Obviously, this is a complex topic, so I can't tell non-binary people how to feel about their partner being straight, but I hope this help might help folks understand one another better. Here are Brinkley and Barley with Hello Kitty for pet tax. Oh, look at these babies.
1: So cute. Oh my god, they're so cute. They're like doodles.
0: They're like a golden doodle and a uh, almost looks like a old English sheepdog doodle. Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. Sheep doodle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you would say what you would call that. Aaron, thank you so much for that submission. Seriously. It's an interesting way to think about it.
1: Oh my goodness. All right, N D O T uh, is the name and pronouns are she, they. Uh, Hey, folks, I'm here to chime in about the pan queer talk. AG's comment that started the ball rolling really resonated with me, but then the listeners' comments the next day from the person dating a non binary person, all that really zeroed in and how I've been feeling. But holy moly, Dana's response, you guys glossed over it so quickly because you all got jokes, but can we just repeat it and simmer in it for a moment? it brought tears to me as i listened to it 10 more times fed my soul in a way i didn't know i needed the space is not limited it is not finite you are never taking up space you are adding to a family
0: mm.
1: wow i said something and that just made me cry
0: <laughs> see how good you are
1: i dana thank you so very much for your beautiful words keep being you and doing what you do sending you so much love it's so interesting because as a performer, and AG, I don't know if you've had this experience. Sometimes I go into this place of like when I'm talking about something I'm passionate about or that I really care about, it comes from a place beyond me. And it's why we as comedians record our shows, because oftentimes when we're in that space, we don't remember what we say. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing I must have had one of those moments that I was so present with you and speaking from a place beyond me that I didn't remember saying this. And so, NDOT. Now that you put it in words, I'm like, oh my God, sometimes I feel like I go on and on and I'm like, you know, just like droning about shit. And I'm like, okay, sometimes I actually am
0: very poignant and makes sense. Yeah, no, when when you said that, it reminded me of uh, conversations I've had actually about comedy with other comedians. Yes. You know, like, they'll be sitting around and be like, well, Amy Schumer got famous. That means I can't be famous because... Only there can only be one famous girl who talks about sex stuff in her comedy act. Right. Right. And, and, you know, as you get older and you start doing comedy more and you get more into the scene and the circuit, you start realizing there is room for everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's
0: true. I think in any occupation, space community, at least it should be um, that there's room for anybody. And so I kind of felt like it was also kind of coming from a, 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 you know, a comedy almost space, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was so well put. Thank you for and, this submission. I love,
1: I told you there's a huge community out there, like the spectrum and it is so vast. And I'm not saying the Kinsey scale, if you want to go back to that, you can, but all of us fall somewhere on it with our sexual orientation, our gender identities, how we express ourselves, how we see ourselves. And I think we as a community probably have even more of a percentage of listening because we're so expansive as humans. That's why most of us are liberals and progressives and Democrats, because we are expansive. I just love it. I love that you reach so many people. I love that this podcast reached so many people. And I love that so many people
0: feel seen by us telling our stories. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Not being alone is one of the best feelings. And um, it was a a recent very good friend of mine who kind of showed me that uh, I care about the things that make you you, your heart, your soul, your brain, the f- the amazing fucking shit that you put out in the world, the who you are, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want to be close to.
1: Yeah, there's that, A.G., I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a group called Gender Cool, and it's all of these youth, these youth that have really gotten in touch with their gender identity. Many of them are trans, but they're also – um Non-binary, and basically their thing is, is that our gender identity is the least interesting thing about us.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's what it should be.
1: They're artists, they're lawyers, they're athletes, they're musicians, Mm -hmm. they're fucking changing this world, and that's what they want people to focus on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mind-blowing, incredible impact you have on the world around you and people, that is what is important. Yeah, agreed. So, Okay, well. Those were good final thoughts, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think I was going to ask if you had any final thoughts, but I think that kind of, I don't know if we can do any better than what we just did. No. (laughs) But thanks to everybody for listening today. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow, as we know, is the closing arguments in the New York Attorney General Civil Fraud trial. So that should be uh, interesting, to say the least. And I look forward to to talking to you about it. And uh, Dana, you'll be here, right? You're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, I'll be with you. Sweet. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone with you. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants,